I would, I'd let her kick me in the face for free. Radio Drome. Welcome to another episode of Radio Drome. I am Josh Hadley. With me, as always, is the way too early to be awake Cuban Pete. Yes. That's all you get at this early morning. But we, yes. we record way earlier than you people hear this. So I record uh, two hours before I have to. Well, before I have to be at work. So I'm pretty pretty dead. And back this week is Cecil. I'm just here for Jack Scalia. Or we'll get into that. Just wait, 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 okay? <laughs> but with you guys, if, if you want to get into stuff, you go to adamandeve.com. Use the promo code DROME, D-R-O-M-E, and you will get 50% off of a single item, three free DVDs, a free sex swing, and free U.S. shipping. Just use the promo code DROME, adamandeve.com. So tonight what we're going to talk about is PM Entertainment. Now, this is a label that a lot of you might not recognize as a label. Like, oh yeah, I really liked a lot of those PM Entertainment movies. But at the same time, especially once we start talking about these, if you're listening to this show, you're going to go, I've seen almost all of these movies. Because PM Entertainment, they had an ex- they had a semi-exclusive deal with HBO in the late 80s and early 90s. If you saw an action movie with a questionable martial arts star in the early 90s on HBO, HBO or Cinemax, it was probably a PM Entertainment movie. When I say PM Entertainment, what do you think of? The same police car flipping over another car and exploding. (laughs) Hey, they paid a lot of money for that flip. They're going to use it in as many films as possible. They certainly did, and I don't have a problem with that at all. It's just, it's wonderful. It's, uh, to me, that is almost a action movie version of the Wilhelm scream. It's just like, okay, here's a, here's a chase sequence that's going on, and then for some reason, the police car will crash over another car. Like it's just it's or it's the a, uh, the car that crashes in the trauma movies that they keep reusing Sergeant Kabuki Man or Toxic Avenger, but they keep using it. I think I think it was Sergeant Kabuki Man. I, I'm not sure who's actually worse, PM Entertainment or Trauma for reusing for <laughs> reusing that shot. But PM Entertainment, and I'll talk about this when we get to their TV series LA Heat. They are great at reusing effects. That's one big thing that they have with them. T Force. The movie T-Force, which stars Malibu from American Gladiators, and it's a actually pretty excellent little Terminator slash Universal Soldier knockoff. Like, it's it's actually genuinely good. Dude, the scene where the one, they're, they're like these genetically engineered cyborg guys, but the scene where the one dude gets thrown out the window and flies like 20 stories down into the police truck, and mm. it, that's awesome. Yeah, there's some really great, like, action set pieces in that one, and the, the cybernetics and shit, like, look really cool on them, too. Let's, let's get into a little bit of history here. We, we did the same thing when we talked about Empire. We technically need to talk about the company that came before, because PM Entertainment really didn't start as PM Entertainment, just like how Empire started as Child Band Productions. So PM Entertainment specifically made 87 movies between 1989 and 2000, plus two television series. Before that, they were called City Lights, and they made about a dozen films. What this was is 
Syrian immigrant Joseph Murray and and Las Vegas resident Richard Pepin created City Lights Entertainment with a third partner who we'll get into in a moment. They decided to start making movies, but they didn't really know how. For instance, Joseph Mary, he ran a pizza parlor in Las Vegas. Richard Pepin worked at an ad agency in Las Vegas. The first movie they made, Hollywood in Trouble, is about a pizza shop owner turning director with his friend who runs an ad agency. So what happened is City Lights, they made a little bit of everything. They made comedies like Hollywood in Trouble. They made horror movies like Epitaph and Dance of the Dead. They made The Newly Deads, Death by Dialogue, Hollow Gate. They made action movies like Fresh Kill. But the whole thing is none of these sold. They just could not find a hit. So eventually their third partner ended up buying them out and taking City Lights from them. So then in 1989, they specifically made PM Entertainment. You couldn't make PM Entertainment today. Well, PM no, you, Entertainment. Could, you couldn't make most of these uh, smaller middle-class companies, and we know why. We've actually talked about it. Mm-hmm. Well, n- not just that. PM Entertainment didn't exactly play by the rules, as in getting permits or having safety procedures or things like that. That's why a lot of the stunts in their movies look really, really dangerous. Because when you talk to the directors, you go, they really, really were. Somebody really could have been killed doing this because they (laughs) didn't have any safety equipment for it. Well, yeah, like the scene from T-Force that we were just talking about. It looks really real because it is more or less. Yeah, there's a there's a scene in um I think it was the Silencers with Jack Scalia. He's inside of a satellite dish being dragged behind a car. And they keep showing shots of him like in the satellite dish being dragged behind this car and you're like, "Wow, that really looks like Jack Scalia." Because I pretty much am sure that it was him and not a, just a <laughs> stuntman. Like and there's a couple of times where he's like kind of like he looks a little scared and you're like, "Yeah, he he's not happy with this they're doing this without a permit down like a not a closed highway you know that's the pm entertainment way pm entertainment had like i said an exclusive deal and when i say exclusive put that in quotes exclusive for television deal with hbo but a lot of these movies would come i guess quote direct to video even if they've already aired on hbo when hbo needed programming in their earlier days or even you know by the late 80s early 90s you'd have empire strikes back and you'd have the tom cruise movies on it you know 8 9 p.m after midnight they needed to fill that's where pm entertainment came in that's where their movies played let's face it not counting video all of us saw these movies at two in the morning didn't we yes 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 you know that's when pm entertainment really really worked They, they found a niche and they filled it but in a strange way they weren't just a you know they're known for their action movies but they made a little bit of everything because according to some of the people who worked there, PM, PM Entertainment was very market-driven. They would follow whatever trend was hot. Faction movies are really hot? Okay, that. Like, nowadays, if Blumhouse would be really hot, they'd be like, let's make a Blumhouse-style movie. They were always about six months behind the curve. They were always trying to make something more of what was really popular right now in the theaters. And as we all know, that that is not a sustainable business model. There's a reason they went out of business in the early 2000s. They just could not sustain that business model. The thing was, though, I kind of liked that about them because, like, now with the Asylum, it's like, hey, what's going to be popular? And then they crank out a movie as fast as possible to get it on the stands right when whatever the other movie is hitting. It's just, it it's a lot of times 
It lacks polish, it lacks any kind of polish, and the movies end up just being like god awful. Every now and then they'll put out a, 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 um, Sherlock Holmes, but for the most part, you get a lot of just really bad, uh, mockbusters. But mm. with PM Entertainment, it's like, hey, particular thing is going to be pop, like with, uh, I, I believe T-Force was, uh, their take on Universal Soldier, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, and Universal Soldier without with a like a little bit of Terminator. With a little bit of Terminator mixed in. But it's like, I like that because it's like, all right, this is kind of the B-movie, you know, knockoff for, you know, I mean, as we've gotten with slashers and everything else over the years, they did it with such gut and they were fun and and they were quick and and they often would have like uh really awesome fight sequences and explosions and boobs and everything that you want in this kind of film when you're awake at two in the morning because if you're like me and probably like a lot of our audience you you know, are either an insomniac or just for whatever reason you stay up late watching stuff. You don't want to really sit down and watch Apocalypse Now at two in the morning. Not saying like Apocalypse Now, amazing movie. You want to just watch something that's really dumb and you can kind of turn your brain off and enjoy it. And PM Entertainment delivered the kind of film where you could just sit down and be entertained and go to sleep. Do you know why that is? They had a rule. Now, PM Entertainment, first of all, I think this is another thing you absolutely could not do today. Their movies look way more expensive than they are. They never spent more than $350,000 on a single film. And you guys know from all the ones you've seen, that seems really low compared to the amount of quality you got in a PM Entertainment movie, isn't it? Well, everything was shot on film and shot very competently. Like, they looked like they were semi-expensive films. Yeah, but 350000 bucks, even in the early 90s, it's very that, that, little. Was a re- that was a relatively low budget. Cause, I mean, even Canon was putting out, you know, four or five million dollar films for their basic direct-to-video movies. And PM yeah. Entertainment's like, that's nothing. But they also had a rule. To go back to what Cecil said, they knew that the audience was going to be watching these, you know, late at night slash early in the morning, and they didn't really want to think too much. They had what they called the seven-minute rule. Every seven minutes, something has to happen. Quote from one of their producers, Richard Munchkin, The rule eventually became that every seven minutes, somebody had to be shooting, chasing, fighting, or f***ing. It was, <laughs> if it was quicker than that, even better, but at least every seven minutes. It's like the Michael Bay rule. So every seven minutes, something would happen. Sometimes that was to the to the detriment of the film, and sometimes it was to the benefit of the film. For instance, in the Ring of Fire movie, which, you know, is a big kickboxy movie, because, you know, kickboxer and blood sport were huge at that time, the f- script was 42 pages long. It would just have three pages of fight scene happens. The entire <laughs> last 20 minutes of the movie says, major fight scene, good guy win. God, well, I mean, they were okay. getting... I'm guessing they, they, they would always have really competent fight choreographers and martial artists in their movies. So I think they would just kind of give them the reins and just be like, okay, do a good fight scene. And they would because, you know, they know what they're doing. Uh, not so much, Pete. Cause one of the no? things that, one of the things that PM would do, I mean, they, they did have dedicated stunt people and, you know, they gave work to Jeff Speakman and Cynthia Rothrock and all that. But PM Entertainment, one of the main complaints that some ex-employees had was, they would find anybody in L.A. or Las Vegas where they tended to shoot their movies. If they were huge guys and looked like they could fight, they offered them a role in the movie, mm. even if they had no training whatsoever. Sometimes that worked. Sometimes it didn't. Like the guy who, because he was an amateur, Cynthia Rothrock kicked in the face, broke his nose, and he ended up suing the company for $250,000. What a baby. Yeah, really. I would, I'd let her kick me in the face for free. 
Cynthia Rothrock. It's something that happens too, like in an action movie. Like even if people are really well trained and everything's really mapped out, injuries happen. Like it happened in in First Blood to a lot of the people Stallone was working with, and to himself, the fucker fell out of a tree and broke his ribs. You know, he accidentally elbowed one of the cop actors in the nose and broke his nose. Production continued, but you know, because it's an action movie, it's physical. This, this kind of stuff happens. They had some of their most popular people they had working with them for their action films you had don the dragon wilson jeff wincott cynthia rothrock richard norton like award-winning martial artists Mm. and so i think that when you have somebody that talented a lot of times they can make it look better like even if they're fighting you know because when you're having like a bunch of no-name henchmen come up you just have a bunch of people run him and then you know don the dragon wilson does a bunch of kicks and makes it look like he's just fighting them off with ease and that's kind of the beauty of it so you don't mm-hmm. really need to have i mean unless you're going to get for the big boss fight then you need to call in somebody who is a competent fighter so you can have a big duke you know duke out at the end you don't want yeah, to yeah then, then you get uh richard norton and people like that right so it's like you have people that know what they're doing and are beating the crap out of people who don't know what they're doing well, you also have what uh, Richard Munchkin referred to as market confusion. Because PM Entertainment was constantly chasing the market, the international market would be very different from the American market, and they would get conflicting notes on what they would be able to do in movies. Like, he'd get one note, over in Australia, the nudity isn't going as over as well, but the action is. So up the action and down the nudity. And then he'd get a note, well, in England, they want more nudity and less violence. Well, in America, we want more nudity and more violence, and all on the same <laughs> film. And those are the notes he's getting. And he's like, it was kind of a cluster in a way because you're getting all these conflicting notes from all the people who sign your paycheck, so you have to incorporate all of them. And it made some of the films kind of a disaster to edit. And you can Mm. kind of see that sometimes. Okay, PM Entertainment movies looked more expensive. Mm -hmm. Sometimes the editing wasn't so great, though. They had to pump them out pretty quickly, and that's what you get when you you have the the late-night B-movie kind of niche, is you you got to get them out as quickly as you can. It's it's kind of the mix, you know, you got to you, you want to tailor it to the market. But uh, really, I think that uh, they should have just stuck with making one edit for the film that be, you know, look, look at what the biggest market is. Their biggest market was probably the U.S. Mm-hmm. So tailor your stuff to the U.S. and then, you know, release it as is, because that way you're not re-editing the hell out of the video and creating various different versions of the same film and costing yourself more money than is necessary. The money that they probably gained by tailoring it to the different markets, they probably lost in the amount of time and effort it took to make them. Because according to Richard Munchkin, like I said, he was their basically go-to line producer. Even though he's not credited on a bunch of these movies, he ghost-directed a ton of PM Entertainment films. He Mm. said, basically, we were not making art. He said that we were making a product. Every four weeks, we were making a new movie. And, uh, quote, it wasn't about what's the best way to tell this story. It was about how can I shoot 11 pages in one day and not kill myself, unquote. (laughs) (laughs) So, So, in a way, they knew they were making product. Yet, how fun the movies are. It's not the same as the, like, David Dakota just shit out a movie every three days kind of product we get today. And that's, again, mm. something else that's kind of lost, you know? It's weird when you when you compare the sort of cheaper movies from back then, you know, the, the Canon films, the PM Entertainment, all that stuff. And then you look at, uh, and, and a, lot, a lot of people lately are freaking out over, like, Neil Breen and stuff. I, I hate those movies. I can't stand them. The, the, the like, the Faithful Findings and the, the other uh, shit that he's made. I am it's here now. It's 
horrible. Like, it's really bad. You you can't buy him as an action guy. It's horrendously paced. It's boring. And it, it looks even cheaper than a lot of these other movies. That it, and they probably cost more than a lot of the PM Entertainment ones do. So I, I don't know how they could go into these movies and think, oh, well, this is just a product that's not art. And then it actually comes out as something that you can still watch years later and still have a lot of fun with. And then you have these ones coming out now, and people are immediately just embracing them as as memes or whatever because there's they're so bad. Well, that's all they are is bad. There's no redeeming qualities to them. Neil Breen sucks. I don't care who I upset with that statement. He does. Neil Breen sucks. He does. But then the the other thing about PM Entertainment was because they were always chasing the market, they, they weren't as asylum like in their ripoffness, if you will. They also didn't kind of hide where their inspiration came from. Well, they were sort of like like Bruno Mattai movies in a way. Like they would they would be clear and evident ripoffs of things, but they would have their own interesting elements as well. Oh, that uh, would sort uh, absolutely. of re- redeem them. Absolutely. For instance, like in Ring of Fire, Richard Munchkin got the project in ni- in December of 1990. He was told that we start shooting this movie movie in february he said okay can i see the script and he was told once you write it so over the holidays <laughs> he said he rented every single kickboxing movie he could and saw what he could take from those <laughs> there, there's a certain just like i mean yes it's not the way to properly make a film but i i don't know man they they had they had like lightning in a bottle there's something about the pm entertainment movies the vast majority of them are so unbelievably fun and you don't care that it might be uh ripping off something else i mean as i said earlier you know it's there's there's been so many um exploitation films and knockoffs and mockbusters and everything but these they embrace it and i think it was kind of a combination of the fact that there were people that were talented and passionate that actually worked on these things because it always shows you know no they're not going to win uh awards but they're just damn entertaining all you need are a few people on set that give a crap and that that will elevate the picture even if they're not necessarily talented um it'll be noticed that people are actually having fun and that there are a few people that care that want to put out something that's of some worth and and quality uh in the product if you just have everybody napping their way through a film like that's the worst if you have somebody that looks like they're bored that looks like they're there for a paycheck that's just like kind of mumbling through their performance that kills it. That, that kills it for me. That doesn't make it so funny that it's, that it's like great or so bad that it's good to me. That just makes it dull, like birdemic and movies like that. Well, see, the thing with PM Entertainment, we'll get to some of the stars they worked with in a minute. PM Entertainment was sort of like Roger Corman's company in that it was true guerrilla filmmaking film school. Yeah. To the point where no permits, no nothing. Not just that. You could literally move up the ladder faster than anywhere else, even in Roger Corman. (laughs) Stuntman Cole McKay said within four movies, you can be directed a movie he said he went from a stuntman to a stunt coordinator to a second unit director and then a director all within the span of four movies so basically it was hey you stuck with us for these last couple you want to direct one sure why not (laughs) what other studio that's going to spend you know a quarter of a million bucks is going to do that today none i can't think of any god that would oh god i i I came out about 10 years too late (laughs) i would totally come on 
Dude, I would. You tell. I think all three of us would love to direct a PM Entertainment movie. Oh, oh yes. good lord! You'd have you'd have Josh. Josh is a writer. Cecil is a director, and me as one of the actors. Oh, absolutely, dude! You would you would be the new age Jack Scalia. Yes, you could be like Anna Nicole Smith in Skyscraper because PM Entertainment made that. <laughs> dude, that was. Oh uh, yeah, she, that was hilarious because I remember I'm like, oh, how does she fly a helicopter with those nails? Like she, she had the biggest, like if you ever, I think it might even be in the trailer if you don't want to watch the movie. She has these gigantic, like fake fingernails on and she's f- supposed to be flying a helicopter and she's barely holding the like control stick, whatever it's called. I'm like, oh boy, we're in for a doozy oh, with this one because that's in like the first. in that movie. <laughs> to the Limit was the one that opens with her taking a bath. Of course it does. Like, they couldn't even wait. They're just like, all right, looks, we know why you're here. Anna Nicole Smith, here you go. Well, you know? she, she wasn't the, like, see, one of the things with PM Entertainment, just like with, you know, moving up the, you know, hey, you want to direct a movie? Okay. They would give starring roles to people who were no longer stars. And, you know, sometimes it was somebody mm. who used to be a star who has been supporting cast forever, like a Billy D. Williams or a Corey Feldman, and they were yeah. trying to get back on top. Sometimes it would be somebody who nobody really wanted, like Anna Nicole Smith. No one but PM was going to put her in a movie. Sometimes mm. they would, if you could bring it in under budget, they would just make vanity projects. For instance, see Thomas Howell's The Big Fall, where he stars, writes, directs, edits, and his stunt coordinator for the movie. Vanity Project is much? Is that the one where he's like, uh, he's like a cop, a cop that doesn't play by the rules with a goatee? No, he is, he is a private detective and it's very noirish, but it's set in 1997 LA and he has one of the mm. best noir detective names. He's Blaze Ryback. <laughs> I'm not kidding. <laughs> that's, that's amazing he's blaze ryback and this is a total vanity project what's the movie called i want to see if i've seen this i the swear big i have Ball. oh that sounds wonderful blaze ryback. blaze ryback i'm just i'm just thinking of under siege 2 ryback <laughs> but the, the bottom line in pm entertainment was will it sell they were they were they were never trying to make a movie that had social commentary to it or anything like that they were making in their words, dumb action films. And they and they did it brilliantly. But they also accidentally made some social good. For instance, Cynthia Rothrock was completely fed up with working in movies. She was always, in her words, cast as the, the main star's partner, and she always had to be rescued in the third act. Nobody would let her star in a movie, even though she was not the female karate champion in the world she was the karate champion in the world remember cynthia rothrock competed Mm. in the men's league she did not compete in the specific woman's league pm entertainment was the first place that said you know what this chick has something let's see if we can make her a star i i love cynthia rothrock uh i actually the first time i I stumbled upon her um was in uh china o'brien 2 i believe Uh, i was on kung fu theater i'm like all right who is this girl and she's beating the crap out of everybody. So I, I think that I do understand it kind of sucks because um, when you're an actor or an actress and you get pigeonholed into one genre, uh, you do want to branch out a little bit. But a lot of times the movies that she was in that weren't action ended up not being particularly she, she good. She wasn't the best at and comic not, timing. No, and that's not, that's really no fault of hers. I mean, the, the thing is, you know, sometimes you're really good at one thing and maybe not really good at another. Well, so, not all, not all action guys can, or action people can really do the, uh, the comedy thing. Like, 
Stallone kind of fucking sucks at it, but he's a great dramatic and action actor. Just, just don't put him in Stop or My Mom but, Will uh, Shoot. It, it, ever. Are you telling me Drinkenstein is not a work of comedic genius? That is a work of unintentional comedic okay, genius. <laughs> like about Cynthia Rothrock, the sexism in the industry was so bad that when she got on the cover of Karate Illustrated, because you know, a female karate champion was so unheard of. She ran into somebody at a signing who literally asked, how'd you get on the cover? Did you sleep with the editor? It never even uh, dawned on people uh. that maybe she's this f***ing good. I mean, look at her in, her in her movies. You can tell she's legit. She was great. Yeah. She beats the shit out of everybody. Yes. And I mean, in a believable manner. Like, there are she was, some... Uh, she was Richard Norton's punching bag for a while. Those two had a lot of a lot of scenes together where he would he would uh, get the crap kicked out of him, and he was a big dude. Oh, dude! Well, he was uh, he was one of the guys that like uh, Chuck Norris said he gave him like the hardest time. <laughs> if I'm if I'm not mistaken, he uh, was a Richard Norton. I believe was one of one of like three people to actually beat Norris. Another thing is, Team Entertainment let their directors do kind of whatever they wanted. For instance, Kathleen Kinmont has a story when she was working on Art of Dying, which was being directed and starring Wings Hauser. And he decided in the middle of their sex scene, he was going to jazz it up. So he called Cut with his pants down around his ankles and his penis hanging out. He wanted to reframe the shot so his bare ass could be seen pumping. So they had to do makeup on his ass while everyone was standing there looking at his penis. <laughs> and she's like... You would have never done this on a Universal film. No. You know, but this was PM Entertainment. Okay, he wants to shoot it like this, so I guess he's the director. Oh, God. Can was, you, he, can, was he Was he drunk? With Wings Hauser, maybe. Well, yeah, he, he usually was. Can you imagine the, like, the audacity of that? All right, look, this production needs to stop. I need you to put makeup on my ass. <laughs> it's not shiny enough. <laughs> Yeah, I need I need it to look like realistic, <laughs> like I like I am slamming Kathleen Kinmont. Which you know, Kathleen Kinmont, man, in the nineties she was fucking hot though. Oh, dude, oh, Wing, Wings Hauser is fucking great. And well, CIA codename Alexa uh, and CIA target Alexa were pretty much just on a nonstop loop. <laughs> and then going back, there we go with uh, Lorenzo with, Lamas. Um, uh, Lorenzo Lamas. Yeah, yeah, he they, was in he was in both of those, wasn't he? Yeah, he was in both of those. He was the He was he was ponytail goatee man in a yeah. tank top. <laughs> and <laughs> I think he had a duster and a motorcycle too, if I'm not mistaken. Pretty sure he did. He was born with those things. He just came <laughs> out of the womb with a duster and a motorcycle, long flowing hair. And see the thing with PM Entertainment was they kind of while they cared about the quality of the product they were putting out, they always kind of had this almost Ed Woodian sort of attitude for it. Like founding mm. member Joseph Mary said, quote, We tried to grow with each film. If on the 26th film we had three minutes that could rival a Universal Studios film, I was happy. And the next film we'd try to get four minutes worth. That's just how we work, unquote. You could almost see Ed Wood making that comment, couldn't you? It's like, <laughs> well, as long as there's a little bit of uh, slightly big budget quality, I think we've done a good job. The other hour and 20 minutes was shit. <laughs> But the thing is, they at least were striving. I mean, how many, how many companies that are out there now are just putting whatever out there with yeah. like very little care, one or two takes at most, and just, you know, not caring about the art of it at all. Like, oh God, like look at crap like Samurai Cop 2. Good Lord. 
they they tried to recapture Samurai Cop, and the thing is, you can't do that. Like, the beauty of Samurai Cop was that they didn't go in trying to make a bad movie. No, it, it was all a, a cluster. F- they went in and, and reshot stuff when the when the guy had cut his hair, so they had to use a really bad wig that kept falling off. Like, it was all this this hodgepodge of, of trying to make a movie work, but it didn't. But that's what makes it so hilarious. If you try to do that intentionally, it's it's just glaringly obvious and it makes it annoying. I think the only like it is very, very rare when you try to make a bad movie like a so bad it's good movie and it works. Like Black Dynamite. Attack like Black, Di- well, Black Dynamite was was a parody yeah. A satire of the black exploitation. So that's kind of, it works, but yeah, but I think Attack of the Killer Tomatoes is, is totally one, uh, where that works. And I think there's another one, Lobster Man from Mars, I think works like that. But, mm. and I do think, I know a lot of people will probably disagree with me and we're going to go into asylum territory, but I think that the Sharknado series, it is so dumb. It actually is funny and it works. It doesn't work for everybody, but I think that they're, they're like, they're entertaining for what they're supposed to be. Whereas mm. you have other companies that are trying to do this and they're just coming out with, like unwatchable garbage. Well, see, yeah. the thing with PM Entertainment, another thing that they did was they did kind of take cues from Ed Wood style films. Like Cynthia Rothrock said when she was doing some ADR for Guardian Angel, she didn't know how to, she, she would do all of her own stunts except for she didn't know how to ride a horse. When her character in Guardian Angel has to ride a horse, that's a stunt double just because she physically couldn't do it. So when she went to do the ADR, mm. she noticed that at one point the horse bucked and the actress, the, the stunt double's wig fell off pointed that out no. and they literally told her that's okay we'll put a noise in it nobody will even notice <laughs> that's very ed wood oh my god it, it is but i mean i mean dude, you're talking to, i've seen movies where there'll be a a like black woman fighting and then all of a sudden it'll cut to an angle and it's a white guy in a wig you like <laughs> Kiss meets the see, so, so it's like, Kiss meets the Phantom of the Park. Ace Fraley's stunt double was a huge black dude. Oh, remember? <laughs> All of a sudden, he'll become a black dude yeah. for a stunt, and then back to Ace Fraley. Yeah. Although there was a um in and I'm gonna get you sucka. They did it as a spoof, like a goof, where the mama comes in to beat up a bunch of people, and all of a sudden it's a very plainly obvious white guy with a big mustache. Oh <laughs> man. And like I'm like, in, that's uh, beautiful. Black Dynamite, where they switch the the dude that Cream Corn ac- accidentally hits. Mm-hmm. It's like motherfucker, and then it switches, and it's like a a very noticeably smaller guy. Yeah. But yeah, that's that's the goof. But yeah, there's a lot of times where, and to, like the thing is too. Um, I mean, I just did a movie called uh, Graduation Day last week. The actress who they had playing one character, they shot like for about a week or so, and she ended up being a really big problem. So they had to fire her, and they brought in Linnea Quigley to be her replacement and they hmm. couldn't afford to reshoot all those scenes so they just now all of a sudden have a different actress playing the same character and they hope oh. nobody would notice Dear God. and a lot of people didn't notice so one of the things PM Entertainment, like I said, they, these were HBO staples. They were direct to video. Lots of people were renting these. They got the idea, let's move into TV. Cause the first run syndication market was huge. This was when Hercules, the legendary journeys, Xena, Baywatch, Renegade, things like that were all over. So they made two seasons mm-hmm. of a PM Entertainment TV series called LA Heat. It starred Wolf Larson and Stephen Williams from 21 Jump Street. And the thing is, we didn't get it. This aired overseas in Europe, and it got such amazing ratings for two seasons. It actually beat Baywatch for a while as the most popular show in the world. 
eventually, in the early 2000s, TNT decided, all right, we'll pick this show up. They decided to lie and call it a TNT original, which it wasn't. And there was no delineation between the two seasons because they had all 50 episodes. So they just aired all 50 episodes one a week. So it was like one giant-ass season. The, The weird thing is L.A. Heat... Stephen Williams calls it the most dangerous thing he's ever worked on. Now, first of all, they had all the PM Entertainment movies, about 50-plus movies at this point. Whenever they needed a special effects shot, they would just steal it from a previous PM Entertainment movie, you know, car blowing up or something. (laughs) But they couldn't afford stunt people for Stephen Williams and Wolf Larson. So the thing was, they had to do all their own stunts. So Stephen Williams has this great quote where he was talking to Wolf Larson on set one day. Hey, Wolf. Did you sleep with the producer's girlfriend? No. Why? Why are they trying to kill us every single day here? Unquote. (laughs) He said that's the way he felt. He said he felt at any moment he could be killed shooting an episode of L.A. Heat. I've never actually watched the watched the show. It it's got a weird release schedule because the first season is on DVD, season 2 is available only on Amazon streaming because that makes sense. Mm. Oh, and the DVD and That's weird. when TNT aired them, they aired the episodes out of order, so certain storylines don't make uh. any sense and the DVDs are in the air mm. date order because why wouldn't they be? PM <sighs> Entertainment was starting to run out of gas. By the time the early 2000s came up, so they were branching into other areas, their contract with HBO had dried up, so they reached out to Lifetime. They were making Lifetime original movies, such as Undercover Angel, where Dean Winters and Yasmin Bleeth have a little girl fall into their lives, and they figure out that they love her, and James Earl Jones is a judge in it, because... Dear God... That, that's not. I good. watched it because I love Dean Winters Brutal. and I'll watch him in anything. God, I, I watched Sex in the City episodes for Dean Winters. So I watched Undercover Angel Ew. for that. But, Gross. Um, Have some dignity. <laughs> it's Dean Winters, you scum. Yes, it's also Sex and, in the City. You, you, yeah, you could watch Sarah him Jessica in anything Parker. else. God. You know, and then, and then Yuck. right around 2000, right, right before they went out of business, they were trying anything to stay in business and they got into the black action film, like Hot Boys, B-O-Y-Z, with Snoop Dogg. Yeah, that just sounds like gay porn. Yeah, I know, it's just thinking <laughs> I know, but it's, but, okay. Hot Boys with big toys. <laughs> Poor little white boy. <laughs> Hot boys with pearly white cum. So, so here's the thing. Like the DVD cover is all the, is all the black (laughs) actors. But the movie also stars Jeff Speakman and Gary Busey. Not that they're on the cover at all. Well, they're, they're the blackest guys in town. (laughs) But yeah, so PM Entertainment just kind of died away and their legacy is more or less, oh, those weird action movies everybody watched. The, the weird thing is, To our foreign listeners, any movie we're about to bring up here, I'm going to go through some of the highlights. You might not know it, but I guarantee you've seen it. One of the things that they were known for, almost on an Italian exploitation level, almost every movie that they released had a different title in different territories. Cecil and I might have seen a movie under one title, and in Australia you saw the exact same movie under a different title, in England under a different title, in Germany under a different title. So... A lot of these movies you might not know, but you do. That tends to be how they did it in in, in like Italy and sh- for sure. They really liked the fact that they were in L.A. We have like East L.A. Warriors, L.A. Vice, L.A. Heat, L.A. Warrior, L.A. Crackdown, L.A. Crackdown 2. Do you think PM Entertainment had a thing for L.A.? Oh, yeah. It's kind of like how 
Italy had a thing for the Bronx and, and New York. You know, everybody's got to get their city. You got to got to show L.A. some love, I guess. And L.A. was kind of that was sort of more branching out into the into the earlier 90s, like the 80s and 70s were all about like New York sleaze. And then we moved into L.A. sleaze, thanks to stuff like uh, Miami Vice and whatnot, branched out that more into the into the well. Into the 90s, we started seeing more movies like that, but I think we have uh, probably Miami Vice to thank for that. PM Entertainment didn't do horror very much. When they were still City Lights, they did horror films. They didn't really do horror, and whenever they did sci-fi, it was always very terrestrial sci-fi. You know, set four years mm-hmm. in the future where they could just slap some Borg implant-looking props on a guy, and look, he's a cyborg now. They, they, they never really did a whole lot outside of straight action movies. Here are some of the amazing plot breakdowns a typical pm entertainment movie east la warriors bitter rivalry and endless warfare take over the streets of east la or deadly breed if you're not a white american relocate or die that is the slogan for this explosive evil breed the amazing emperor of the bronx there you go peter george and tony are going back to the bronx george and tony are two good fellows from the mean streets of new york all they want to do is to make it to their 21st birthdays but in their world of prostitutes junkies and gangs one wrong move could be their last living to die a burned out detective in las vegas gets involved in blackmail and murder the killer's edge a cop teams up with an fbi agent to track down a counterfeiter the killing zone a convict is recruited from a chain gang to help a mexican oh. drug lord oh the killing zone that's one of the best movies oh, ever it's got made. melissa moran and she shows that's, her that's boobs malibu. that's malibu from that oh, is the ultimate malibu movie yes melissa moore god she's the oh best. i love her boobs that movie has some of the goddamn funniest lines ever like there's a scene where malibu is just like working out and the police chief comes in and he's just asking him questions while he's doing his set and he's just like what are you gonna do about it they just they just murdered the the dealer's brother what are you gonna do i'm gonna finish my workout <laughs> you even sounded like malibu <laughs> there back off slade how about hologram, hologram man? man was a good one oh or, you remember cyber tracker cyber tracker. I, I remember that one yes. or they made three of these no they didn't make comedies straight up comedies well they didn't have to they just had to make their action movies they were but funny enough they made yeah. three bikini summer movies i'm sure cecil remembers the bikini summer films well didn't they also do like the 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 whole broad broad the whole broadstrom of the bikini like there was the bikini summer bikini hoedown bikini, bikini uh, hoedown. oh yeah bikini car wash what was the other what was the one that, uh bikini traffic school like <laughs> <laughs> oh they're great they're i mean and by great i mean awful but like they all pretty much had like the same cast it was like ashley ray and like a couple other people and they always like would be somehow they would focus on the one character and they'd end up in this wacky situation and there would be you know lots of sex and occasional action scene for some reason and uh yeah it, it they were they were really something to behold the 90s was great for do you remember 1993's alien intruder with billy d williams and tracy scoggins quote space traveling Mm. convicts become the victims of their own fantasies when virtual reality is made to go wrong unquote you remember that one (laughs) i do see we all saw these movies and then of course there's the cia code alexa target alexa movies which you know yeah lorenzo lamas is in them but i watch those for kinmont i really like kathleen kinmont i really really do yeah just just a quick aside though the villain uh hologram man was slash gallagher (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> well, right. of course, of course he's gonna grow up to be a villain. His name is what? Slash Gallagher. When you name your kid that, he really doesn't have a lot of options, right? <laughs> the, the child of, uh, Gallagher the comedian and Slash the guitarist <laughs> goes around smashing watermelons with an electric guitar. <laughs> with a, yeah, with a Les Paul. Do yeah. you guys remember when PM Entertainment decided to try the kids market with the Knickerbocker gang films? <laughs> what? The, the, the Knickerbocker <laughs> gang. I don't know what you just said, but it sounded racist. <laughs> I was gonna say, hey, whoa, well, oh, Knickerbocker. Hey, hey, ease up on those, uh, on those, uh, generalizations, on those bad words, those, the, those they even words. Made fa- they even made family films like, like a film about two sisters and their horse called Two Bits and Pepper for the Lifetime Network. I'd rather watch Munchie. <laughs> My point is, I'd rather watch what was what was that one? They, they lost knickerbockers. They, lo- they, they lost their well, way. The knickerbockers is that kind of like a their their buttercream so. gang? But I mean, you know, movie? PM Entertainment oh, also Lord. made Little Bigfoot with PJ Souls. Oh, I mean that movie. That movie is a delightful mess. It keeps losing Bikini itself. Bikini Summer Three, South Beach Heat. All I remember about Little Bigfoot is the, the Mama Bigfoot sitting on a log and a log breaks. All I remember about that one is all I remember about that one is the Bigfoot being creepy as fuck. It was creepy, but there's there's a scene where Mama Bigfoot sits down, and I swear they didn't plan this. It's like a log, and I think the actor was just tired, just being in that Bigfoot suit, probably in the middle of summer, and these they sit down. And the log like snaps and they go falling backward. And I remember laughing till, till I literally hurt. Like, and I shouldn't be this like poor son of a bitch that's probably like sweating profusely. Oh, I'm going to sit down. I'm tired. Snap. And he goes falling <laughs> backwards. I'm sure at that, that moment he wanted to kill himself, but I was, oh, I was roaring with laughter. God, I, I just, I looked up. I had to look it up and I, I remembered Bikini Summer 2 was directed and written by Jeff Conaway from Taxi. Oh, and Christ. It has the most scratch your head, huh? Plot. It's this like, th- this family where everybody's cheating on each other and they, the, the, um, the, the one girl, uh, who's the daughter brings home a homeless guy and he teaches them about the value of life and they form a rock band. Bikini what? Summer. <laughs> Bikini Summer 2. Okay. Is, is the Holy fact that that's crap. a franchise positive or a negative when it comes to PM Entertainment? What is that even a mishmash of? Is that, that's like <laughs> down and out so in Beverly no. Hills. Days with... of our lives. Days of our lives mixed with what's, what's some, what's some down homeless Beverly movie? Hills. Yeah, I guess down in Beverly Hills, probably. Sure. Well, no, the difference, the difference is though, the homeless guy in Bikini Summer 2, he doesn't have sex, like with, down in Beverly Hills, he was banging like, uh, Bette Midler and all them. In this, it's just this guy is watching everybody else get it on, and they eventually help him find his, his wife, who is also homeless, and reunites Aww. the both of them. And, what the uh, hell? Oh, and Jessica Hahn's in it too. Cause of course she is. What should the legacy of PM Entertainment be? Because the way I see it is nowadays, like Red Letter Media and all these other snark sites online is PM Entertainment was crap. It was action crap. And if you look at the whole seven minute rule and things like that, you can kind of see how if you didn't grow up with these movies, I don't think the modern audience is just going to get the charm of these. 
Um, I, it's, it's sad that they don't really get the recognition that they deserve that. It's just, uh, I think a lot of stuff that comes along, it's just, it's not, you know, it's, it's not current. So it's crap. I saw a thing the other day where somebody was calling something, something that came out a year ago is old. Something that came out five years ago is ancient. I, that really kind of annoys me because, um, when I'm watching, uh, you know, something on Amazon or Netflix or Shutter or whatever, and, uh, they're, oh God, there's nothing, nothing good to watch. A lot of times what that means is there's nothing recent. Meanwhile, there are movies that are just wonderful from, you know, 10 years, 20 years, 50 years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's frustrating. So as far as taking that to PM Entertainment, did they make schlock? Yes. But they embraced it and they made entertaining schlock that still looks really good. And I will put any PM Entertainment movie, even the bikini movies, up against the crap that we're getting now that is getting somehow embraced with with better amounts of nostalgia. I guess it's because it's what they're used to now. When you see a lot of these uh, Asylum and Asylum knockoffs that are shot on uh, digital and they just, they don't look right. And then you go back and you look at a, a movie like Hologram Man or something that was done on film mm-hmm. and like had real explosions and not CG and real effects and yeah, real practicals. Yeah, and, and it might have might have had some shoddy effects work with like the hologram effects and whatnot, but it still had really solid action and it looked, it looked nice because it was shot on on actual film they they hold up very well and i'm just now seeing that there's bikini ski school (laughs) (laughs) apparently i mean that's just being mean to your actresses we're gonna put you in bikinis in in the mountains in the snow because you that's why i I missed that also means you're gonna have some erect nipples and i i like that idea hey you know you might like it i doubt the actresses do they're being paid to be miserable (laughs) <laughs> Poor little snow bunnies. Really entertaining, low budget action. I think that's, that's what they excelled at. And that's, those are my favorites, uh, of, of their movies that they've made. Like I can go back and, and watch movies like, like T-Force and such, uh, and go back and watch them over and over again because they're incredibly entertaining and, and quickly paced. I'd, I'd say that's the legacy of them for me. Even stuff like hologram. And they gave Cop. us Blaze Ryback too. Yes. Blaze Ryback and, and Sl- Slash Gallagher. <laughs> So the the way I look at it is I think the PM Entertainment movies, I can understand why modern audiences might not take to them, but I think the modern audiences have to understand why these movies were so good for what they were. In a weird way, they were completely unpretentious. They knew exactly what kind of movie Mm -hmm. they were making, exactly what kind of market they were making it for. I think that's something that is kind of lost on the modern films today. Cause you either have the, you either have yeah. the films that, oh, we're trying to be so bad, we're good, or films like Terrence Malick garbage that we're trying to make art and reach into the depths of the human soul. And Ugh. I just kind of like an unpretentious action film. The BM Entertainment stuff, it, it wasn't trying to be. Yeah, you, you know, you, you get some martial artists and some bodybuilders together and you go, hey, let's, let's shoot some badass stuff. And, uh, be completely unironic about it. And if, if something, if something ends up being funny, they don't mean for it to be, but hey, that makes it even more entertaining because the, it's the lack of, of pretension. They're not trying to goof on themselves. It's, it's kind of funnier when it's, when it's unintentional, which, which is what we get from movies like, like Samurai Cop and a lot of the, the PM entertainment movies, like, you know, the, a lot of the, the, the Lorenzo Lamas stuff and, and the, the, oh God, like the Malibu movies, like those are both, 
entertaining action wise, but they're hilarious when they, when they also try to be like deadpan serious, which is so much funnier than trying to mimic that. And I don't think anybody's really going to be able to, well, some people have, but it's like, don't try. If, if you want to make a movie like this, just make it. Well, that's a perfect way to put it. So where can people find Pete? You can find me trying to make it, uh, on, uh, uh, Twitter at Cinematica, on YouTube, the Cinemasochist, on Facebook, the Cinemasochist, on Patreon at Cinematica. Um, I've got like five videos in the works right now. They're all paid requests. I have shot several of them. I stayed up until 3 a.m. doing that last night and now I'm doing this. So, uh, I'm working for you fuckers. Uh, give me money. Well, Cecil doesn't need money. He's rich with the richest soul of all. Oh, uh, well, <laughs> I have no idea me, what that me either. means. It's too early in the morning, so just where can people find you? Too early for that shit. Uh, you can find me directing Hologram Man 4 with, uh, Peter, Peter the Dragon Gajic as some ridiculous action name over at goodbadflicks.com. Um, but primarily, uh, at goodbadflicks on YouTube, Twitch, Twitter, Facebook, and 1201beyond.com. Blake Hart. There you go. There you go. But was it uh roll large huge <laughs> Chest, <laughs> but okay you can find me bob johnson you can find oh, me wait. at 1201beyond.com you can contact this show at 1201beyond at gmail.com guys try to be a cut above keep one foot in the gutter one fist in the gold have a good night <laughs>
Radiodrome is a 1201 Beyond production. Find it and other great content at 1201beyond.com.